One can understand and agree that in the pre-independence period, mainly due to machinations, provocations, and instigation of the foreign imperial power, that the pernicious concept this of the two nation theory based on religion became a reality. But can we say that we have tried to undo this in the post-independence period, both in our thoughts and our actions? Is it not true that all political parties, including the major political force, namely the Congress, have willy-nilly succumbed to the concept of recognizing a large section of nearly 140 million people of our societies as a political minority based on religion and then continued to deal with them both for electoral gains and otherwise as a vote bank? Repeatedly we find new champions of the cause of minorities vying for their support when political power is at stake. I sincerely believe that in so doing we are being most unfair to this section of the society who will never be allowed to feel as equals with the so-called majority and would always be forced to look to others for support even for their economic well-being. At every stage they will be made to believe that they are being denied equal opportunities mainly because of their difference in religion. This, in my humble opinion, is the most undemocratic and cruel act of humiliation towards any people. When I try to place myself in the position of a Muslim or a Christian young man who feels that he is deprived of certain opportunities because of his religion and that he will have no chance ever of coming on par with those of majority, I feel utterly suffocated and humiliated. Then again, the so-called Hindu majority itself is a myth when considered from the fact that with the slightest blow of caste-based reservations the entire society has been shaken and scattered to a thousand birth-based permanent factions. To club them together and call them collectively a majority is thus a political misnomer. I therefore appeal to all thinking men in this country to once for all bury the differentiation of the pernicious two-nation theory based on religion by rejecting it and then ejecting it first from our mind. The only way this can be done is to accept and assimilate people mainly of Islamic faith as well as other faiths like Christianity as being similar to other faiths of the Vedantic Sanatan Dharma or eternal way of life which believes in upholding the entire society without any distinction. This has been categorically stated 
in the very famous meaning of the word dharma, namely, dharayate iti dharmaha. Dharanat dharma ityahu. Dharmo dharayate prajaha. Secondly, by suitably amending the constitution of India, we should declare that there shall be no recognition of a religious minority. This is All India Radio. In this context, there would be no need to have minority commissions for religious minorities, which in terms is a negation of the principle of equality. The same is true about recognizing and identifying certain castes and then thinking of conferring of certain privileges on them. This again results in denigration and humiliation in perpetuity. It is high time the Hindu law was amended and birth-based caste system abolished by law. I feel that the greatest danger of disintegration of Indian society lies in recognition and reiteration of these irreversible identities, whether based on religion, caste, language or otherwise. This is how the erstwhile Soviet system as well as the state of Yugoslavia have disintegrated. The solution lies in true democratic and secular assimilation in the spirit of harmony by recognizing all as truly equal citizens. A beginning can be made by deleting the column of religion and caste from our census and from all institutions of education, services and administration. If once we look at this whole problem of refusing to identify and differentiate members of society on the basis of these irrevocable and irreversible factors, even the problems of Kashmir as well as the remnants of separatist tendencies in Punjab can be resolved. Once we declare that we this shall not recognize any people as majority or minority based on their faith, nor shall we consider any political rights on that basis, the question of Kashmir will cease to be a matter of dispute between India and Pakistan. We can then, with open mind, allow the people of Kashmir to elect their representatives freely and in a fair manner, and whosoever gets electoral majority should be allowed to govern as a part and parcel of a democratic state of Bharat. In the context of treating them as equals, as spelled out by me above, the Muslims of India will progressively feel that they are not being treated as aliens or as second-class citizens. And in practice, when they see they are not being discriminated against, slowly but surely, the assimilation in the entire Indian society or Bharatiya Samaj will take place. The superficial and artificial problems like Ayodhya will then not arise because all forms and places of worship will be part and parcel of the Sanatana Vedantic Dharma. In such an atmosphere, people of both faiths and as a matter of fact, hand in hand with people of other different faiths as well, can join together in building religious places of worship 
in a common complex to declare their faith in the oneness of God, the Supreme. Thus, belief in goodness will gain in importance in keeping with the modern religion of scientific humanism. Assimilation does not mean elimination of one by the other. It this only means harmonious coexistence by treating both as similar under a common holistic concept of universal oneness. This idea of assimilation, which was strongly advocated by one of our greatest Vedantic thinkers of recent times, Swami Vivekananda, is likely to be resisted by the narrow-minded communalists, casteists, fundamentalists and fanatics in both communities, as it would adversely affect their sectarian vote bank vested interests. Yet, for all broad-minded patriotic thinkers and politicians, this will be acceptable as a just and permanent solution to this long-pending vexatious problem. Some of the things that I have pleaded for in this lecture may appear to be rather radical, but history has shown that no half-hearted approach to any long-standing problems can help in finding solutions. I have earlier made similar suggestions for political restructuring for accepting presidential system combined with parliament somewhat on the French pattern. I have also been pleading for the creation of smaller and larger number of states with greater administrative and economic autonomy so as to remove regional imbalances and achieve faster and more balanced growth. I have also been pleading for economic restructuring by accepting economic democracy and participatory work culture so as to make India competitive, efficient and self-reliant. Maybe I am ahead of our time. But I have no regrets and I sincerely feel that my suggestions are in national interest and if nothing else they at least deserve to be seriously discussed and debated. The historical tragedy of India, that is Bharat, has been that the leaders of this land have always squandered and wasted their energies in internal rivalries and power scrabbles, and have been willing not only to allow but even to invite a handful of outsiders to take advantage of our internecine strife, conquer us and rule over this land for centuries. This attitude continues even today and our political weakness is being exploited today in the economic field and to my mind there is equal danger from new economic imperialism if we do not see the writings on the wall. The need of the hour is to approach this entire question 
of internal strength, unity and integrity with the statesman-like sagacity and iron will like that of Sardar Patel. It is only then that his dream of a united and integrated India can be achieved. Thank you very much. Thank you, Sri Sathya. May I now request our guest of honor, Sri Rajbohan Gandhi, to deliver his presidential address. Sri Rajbohan Gandhi. Sri Vasant Sathya Ji, Sri Shashikant Kapoor, dear friends. A president, I suppose, has some rights, so I would like to modify the title of what I say. Uh, it will not be a presidential address, but some presidential remarks. It is a high honor to be asked to be the chief guest and to preside at this evening's Sardar Patel Memorial Lecture by Sri Vasant Sathe. I thank All India Radio, Sri Shashikant Kapoor, for extending this opportunity to me. It is a great joy and privilege to me to be in Nagpur, I must confess, for the first time in my life. I apologize for denying this privilege. I must apologize to me above all. But it is a real honor to me to be in Nagpur, which has a central place not only in our geography, but also in our history. I am particularly grateful that I have this chance to preside at this stimulating lecture given by Sri Vasant Sathe. Sri Vasant Sathe has been a distinguished cabinet minister who combines great administrative skill with great oratorical and parliamentary skill and who is known especially for his candor. And he has lived up to his reputation again this evening. Sardar Vallabhai Patel, who guarded our unity and our integrity like a powerful sentinel at our borders, also was our Minister for Information and Broadcasting. Sri Vasant Sathe, who was an extremely capable Minister of Information and Broadcasting, has voluntarily chosen this theme, the unity and integrity of India, some threat perceptions, and I think there is an appropriate symmetry in that. Sri Sathe has been audacious in his recommendations. He's audacious in his expectations. He's frank in his articulation. In effect, he would like the religious labels to be abolished, he doesn't want the abolition of religion, but he would like the abolition of religious labels that seem to divide one group from another. He would like to abolish the caste label, and I think left to him, he would like to abolish caste altogether. These are audacious expectations. When I look at his lecture on the one side, and the matrimonial advertisements in the newspapers of India on the other, I ask myself how easy this expectation's fulfillment will be. 
Sri Sathe has delved into history and correctly drawn the conclusion that nowhere in the world has one religion united one nation. He has given the recent example of Bangladesh. But I wonder, looking at history, and looking at the time in India before Islam came to India, when we did not have so many religious labels and we had only one religious umbrella, we still had our divisions. And I wonder whether history really teaches us that the abolition of the religious label will actually produce unity and preserve integrity. Sri Sathe's final remarks about the internal squabbles with which sadly this country has been cursed, the truth of those remarks makes me wonder that even if religious labels are abolished successfully, a big if, and even if caste is abolished successfully, an even bigger if, I have a feeling that Indian ingenuity will find ways of preserving our rivalries and our squabbles for some other reason, in some other name. I hope I am wrong. Tomorrow, Sri Sathe rightly reminded us, is the day when Srimati Indira Gandhi was assassinated. Tomorrow is also the day of Sardar Vallabhai Patel's birthday. And Sardar Vallabhai Patel, if he was eminently successful in safeguarding the unity and preserving the integrity of India, I would like to suggest that this was above all true for two reasons. One, he applied the law without fear or favor. He was a human being. His heart went this way and that way. But this when it came to apply the law, he applied it without fear or favor. He applied the law to the Nizam of Hyderabad, but he also applied it to the Hindu Maharajas of several hundred states. He applied the law without fear or favor. And the second reason for his success was that when he died, he and his offspring were poorer than when they were before he entered the freedom movement. Sardar Patel, people forget, was not just a peasant leader from Kheda district in Gujarat. He was a barrister from London. And he was a very successful and rich lawyer in Ahmedabad. But he tossed away his wealth. He tossed away his money-making career and became a servant of the Indian people. So that when he died, and after he died, his daughter Maniben Patel was living in a small attic in Ahmedabad. She who was the first lady of India in some ways, she at whose sight Maharajas and Nizams and Nawabs trembled, lived in an attic in Ahmedabad after her great father was no more. Sri Sate has spoken on the threat perceptions to India's unity and integrity. I would like to make three remarks on that broad subject. I would like to submit 
that our unity and integrity is affected, one, if there is a wall between the state and the citizen. When the citizen finds that politicians don't deliver the goods, and bureaucrats don't deliver the goods, and judges don't deliver the goods, he gets alienated, and the route for division and the route for weakening the integrity and unity of our nation is born. That is reason number one, a wall between the state and the citizen. And reason number two is a wall between one limb of the state and another limb of the state. I'm not referring to the chief election commissioner and other limbs of the state. But I'm referring to, say, Karnataka versus Tamil Nadu over water. We, as Sri Sate has rightly pointed out, for centuries have led the world in teaching the primacy of the spirit over matter. But we don't have the common sense to apply the truths we know to resolve one dispute over sharing water between two states. One state fights with another state. The legislature may fight with the judiciary. The politicians blame it all on the bureaucrats. And we know what the bureaucrats think about the politicians. So when one limb of the state fights with another limb of the state, that is also an occasion, an opportunity for the plant of disunity to grow. And the third opportunity is provided when there is a wall, a chasm between a citizen and citizen, and between one group of citizens and another group of citizens. And this may be due to caste, and this may be due to religion, and this may be due to language. But when we have the concept of he is not one of us or she is not one of us, we are special and they are less than special. When we have that, then we have the third opportunity for division to this flourish. All India Radio Archives recording. These are some general remarks at the end of Sri Sate's very important and valuable lecture. And I wanted to say that we should respect the clarity with which he has spoken and the earnestness with which he has spoken by giving his suggestions very careful consideration. May I thank you for giving me this opportunity and once more thank all of you for giving me a chance to interact very briefly with the people of Nagpur. You have been listening to a recording of the Siddhar Patel Memorial Lecture 1993, delivered in Nagpur on the 30th of October by Sri Vasanthi, President, Indian Council for Cultural Relations, on the subject National Unity and Integrity, Threat Perceptions. Sri Rajmohan Gandhi, noted thinker and writer, presided over the lecture. This broadcast came to you from the Delhi station of All India Radio.